and welcome back to Ground Game. I'm your host, Bushido Squirrel, and I'm here with Kendall Mayhew, an organizer with People Organized for Westside Renewal and one of the co-founders of Ground Game. Sweet. So the last couple episodes, we talked about organizing generally, and today we're going to kind of have the wheels hit the road and talk about a specific case involving a woman out here in Venice named Anna Cruz. Uh, do you want to kind of give us the setup? Yeah, sure. Uh, so briefly, uh, Anna Cruz is a, um, a member of POWER, People Organized for Westside Renewal. Uh, Anna is a single mom of three. Uh, she's also undocumented, and she was living in an apartment unit in um, public housing. Uh, she is a victim of domestic violence. Her ex-husband basically incurred a massive amount of debt uh, to the housing department uh, in the form of uh, unpaid rent. Uh, that she was not privy to, and then he um, told the housing department he would pay it all back and then bounced. Uh, So she was left with the bill and unable to pay the rent. So when we say public housing, I think a lot of people are going to think of of projects. And we have some of those out here in L.A., but we're not talking about like an old school, like Chicago style housing project, right? Well, we are actually talking about the housing project. So Anna, Anna does live in a housing project. Uh, it's called Mar Vista Gardens. Uh, it is a public housing project here in L.A. Uh, but what you're talking about is true. The style of building uh, is a little bit different in some of our housing projects here in Los Angeles than it is uh, back east or in Chicago. But So all of her neighbors would also be in public housing, be mm-hmm. paid for by Section 8 vouchers. So that's pretty much it's it. It's not Section 8 vouchers. It's actually uh, oh, public housing. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, so what that means when we say somebody lives in public housing, it, it doesn't mean what a lot of people think is that they live in free housing. Uh, they don't live in free housing. What public housing guarantees is that you're paying a certain percentage of your income towards your rent. Uh, in this case, it's 30%. Uh, so everyone who lives in public housing pays 30% of what they make towards their rent. So Anna's husband had lied on his um, application about how much he was making. He, he underreported his income by a large amount um, and was found out later and made an agreement with the housing authority that he would pay back approximately $10,000 in rent. Uh, and as soon as he had that agreement done in writing, he uh, abandoned Anna and her children. And so once he abandoned them, did she have any uh, bureaucratic relief or anyone she could go to to get that situated? Because it seems like abusive ex-husband leaving should be opening a, a beneficial new chapter in her life. Really good question. You would think that there would be some sort of recourse for her in that situation. However, there was not. This actually happens for a lot of uh, women in public housing. Uh, If you are in a domestic violence situation, the housing authority, what I was told, has no mechanism to remove her abusive ex-husband from her lease. Uh, This is despite the fact that Anna actually has a restraining order against him. Uh, And as an undocumented woman, that's an incredibly risky thing to acquire from the, the police department. So even though she had a restraining order against this man, they could not take him off of her lease. Now, since her rent is tied to income, her rent that she was supposed to be paying was also tied to his income as well, even though he wasn't living there and had abandoned her. And obviously, she did not have access to his income. So she was stuck with a $10,000 debt in his name that they insisted she was responsible for. Also, Uh, left with rent that was based on his income and hers, which she was unable to pay, and also left with 
them having no ability whatsoever to take him off of the lease, despite him being completely well-documentedly abusing her and her children. Wow. Okay. So that sort of sets the stage for when you guys <laughs> entered into it. pretty bad. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's kind of amazingly bad. And it seems like in the, you know, half century or so we've had that, that somebody should have thought up a way to, to fix that particular problem. But did Anna come to you guys as a power member? Did, how how did you guys begin moving on this? Like, how was it brought yeah. to your attention? What did you do? So we met Anna through uh, another power member, Daisy Vega, um, who has been a leader in the Marvista Gardens community for a very, very long time. Uh, and Daisy uh, knew Anna through friends. And Daisy found out about this situation and had been helping Anna um, in the early stages, um, trying to get a restraining order against her husband, working on her citizenship status, etc. Um, that's another complicating factor is that her husband is an American citizen and she is not. So you're talking about a man who has a lot of power over her. Um, and when you are, this is another thing, when you're undocumented and you live in public housing, which uh, there are 4,000 families that have mixed citizenship that live in public housing right now, meaning that somebody in the family is undocumented and somebody is not, um, you pay more, uh, almost 100% more for your rent in public housing. That's just one of the... Just for having yeah. someone who's undocumented, not just being for, doc- undocumented. Just even for having somebody who's undocumented. So what we see is a lot of people um, unable to pay that higher rent and then um, forcing them to ask their uh, child or sister or whatever family member to leave because they have to in order to, to continue to make their rent payments on time. Okay. We're getting into the weeds yeah, here. No, but yeah, <laughs> But so... so but public housing is a complicated yeah. issue. Uh, but so Anna's case is brought to you guys. Yeah, and you so, guys... Uh, let's go through, I guess, sort of the, the cycle we talked about the last one. So identifying targets. Sure. So we got wind of Anna's story through Daisy Vega. Um, and Anna um, came to us and asked us for help. And also Anna was very clear that she knew that this was something that uh, was affecting her personally right now, but also was an issue that was going to be affecting other people too. Um, we actually have a few power members who are in this uh, a similar situation to Anna with a partner who's on the lease who is abusive, and we are not able to remove that person from the lease. This is not the only instance of this. Um, so, uh, so for us, we we um, so how do we make a campaign out of this, right? Um, and this is after we had already. Uh, done all of the due diligence we could through the quote-unquote proper channels, uh, meeting with HACLA, the Housing Authority of the County of Los Angeles. Okay. So that's the public agency that that is that has oversight over all the public housing and Section 8. And that's that's uh, county level, yeah, municipal county level, level, county level. Okay, mm-hmm. so it would be, be, be controlled Same by <laughs> the Board of Supervisors, though, not like uh, LA City Council. Yes, but HACLA has their own board um, oh. Oh, that okay. is appointed by different elected representatives have the ability to appoint people to the HACLA board. So, so they actually have their own board meetings, their own uh, everything. They are a public agency um, that is in part funded by HUD. So they are sometimes they have some uh, oversight through the federal government and some oversight. So this is a really, <laughs> a real really, bureaucracy. yeah, really yeah. a rat's nest of different bureaucratic and oh, overlapping just figuring uh, out how to, yeah, just figuring out how to get through to somebody and find the right person is 
So how did you guys do that? (laughs) So we've been working with Hecla for years. So we, you know, have an advantage, just an experience that, um, that we've been communicating with people at Hecla. We have relationships with people at Hecla. Um, so we were able to navigate that. Now it doesn't matter if you have relationships, if when you you actually encounter somebody who works for Hakla, they say, this is impossible. We don't have a mechanism to do the thing you are asking. Um, Even if they, <laughs> they agree with you and think that the case is, is um, sympathetic or they're, they're sympathetic to the, yeah. the plight of the person you're representing. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, and in general, you're talking to somebody who is, you know, lower level at, at this agency and their, their job is dependent on them not making mistakes and not making exceptions to rules, um, even if it is the most empathetic case you can imagine which honest certainly is um so so when that when that when you end up in that kind of holding pattern where you have people who are saying like yeah we would totally help you but we absolutely can't um and you know that they could (laughs) it would just require them to bend rules or break rules um, so that's when you have to kind of escalate and, and start a campaign. So did you immediately start writing letters up the chain to, to Hackla, like Hackla manager one, two, did you go to the board? So there were, there were a lot of different levels to this, but one, one example I will talk about, um, is when we, we, we went straight to the board. Uh, so we went to their regularly scheduled board meeting. We brought Anna and we brought, um, a bunch of allies, people who, uh, no Anna neighbors, um, people who also live in public housing, people who uh, are members of power who just are concerned about this situation. So we just brought a bunch of people. And during uh, some, one of the item agendas, we made comment, when, an item agenda that we found to be related to ours. Um, it just so happens that they are introducing a violence against women uh, clause into their newer contract so that Anna would have been protected in the newer contract, but since that contract hadn't happened yet, they again said there was nothing they could do. So during the public comment for that agenda item, um, we had uh, some people go up and testify on Anna's behalf, and then we had um, several of us ceded our time to Anna so that she could have a full, uh, I believe we we had her speak for about eight minutes, um, detailing her um, situation and what she had gone through, uh, including the ways that she had uh, tried to go through the the appropriate pathways and tried to you know and, and had every intention of um, paying back the debt if that's what was needed um, her willingness to pay her rent sort of showing all of the good faith things that she would have to be doing but it seems like even just to get to that point like you don't just need to know where the the board of governors or board of directors is meeting but you also have to have some understanding of the way that their rules and regulations work yeah, definitely. So you want to do your research, like we talked about in your identification process. So you want to be knowing um, who is going to be sympathetic to your cause, who is not. Um, in this case, we um, there were a couple of board members who were there who were newer to the board. Um, we saw them as potentially being favorable to our situation just because they um, had come on uh, uh, you know, had, had come on more recently, more or less... Um, <laughs> I don't know, hardened, yeah, less <laughs> entrenched in so the rough. system. And then after the after the meeting and after sort of this, you know, it, we'll call the first like contact with the bureaucracy, sort of the negotiation, the escalation is going to the board. Did you guys plan any media events? Did you do any publicity? So 
this is after Hakla had already um, started eviction proceedings against Anna, despite everything we had done. Uh, so we in uh, had plan. We we made a plan for uh, holding a press conference, um, and we were prepared to do a press conference uh, the following day. Uh, when we went to the board. What happened at the board meeting was that once Anna started speaking and the board had heard her story for the first time, uh, it became clear that the members of the board had not been alerted to this situation at all. Uh, one of the board members actually stopped the meeting and called her deputy over and said to this deputy to please start figuring out what's going on here because she was shocked that this could be happening in her department. Um, so at that point, we felt like we uh, we had had a win that day, which which it did seem like we had had a win that day. Part of it is that Anna's situation was uh, obviously it was a time crunch. Um, you know, we we did have to act really quickly, and so we were kind of firing on multiple cylinders. So in general, when we talk about a campaign, we would talk about you know being really deliberate with your actions and being really strategic. But sometimes, if you're in a um, a, a a quick timeline like with a pending eviction, for example, uh, you kind of have to speed things up and throw everything at the wall. It, well, it also seems like this points to uh, a, a, something that activist groups are uniquely situated to do, which is to actually provide information to people higher up because oh, their bureaucracy absolutely. has a vested interest in not providing that information to the people who are ultimately deciding their pay grades and performances. So you as a, a public citizen are actually filling in information that they should have access to. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. So, you know, so what's going on in Anna's case is that the management of her her housing project, who are public employees, were, uh, as they often are at this particular site, were being um, obstinate uh, and were rude, were not actually engaging with their tenant, um, not actually trying to keep her and her children in her housing. Um, and uh, we're making things very difficult for her. Uh, and that's kind of the who she would deal with on a daily basis, and yeah, so those are the people that yeah, she would have to submit forms to. They're a property manager. Yeah. They're, they're her, her, um, her point of contact. So, you know, in going over their head, you know, they don't want anybody above to see that they're behaving in this way. They don't want to be uh, chastised or punished for behaving like assholes. Uh, but, uh, and then, you know, once you get up to the level of the of bureaucrats, lower level bureaucrats at Hecla, you know, again, they don't want the board to know that anything like this could possibly be happening. Um, and unfortunately, you know, <laughs> we just don't have, um, these people aren't incentivized to make anybody's life easier. Um, you know, it, it is incredibly heartbreaking when, you know, I had an I actually had a conversation with an employee at Hackle where I said, you see that this system is designed to protect her rapist and abuser and not designed to keep her children safe. And you can see how frustrating that is for us, right? And he said, yes, there's nothing I can do. Um, so it is amazing how unwilling uh, bureaucrats are to bend or break the rules when it comes to helping poor people, but how incredibly willing they are to bend and break rules when it comes to anybody who has a little bit of money or influence. 
So, but with Anna's case, you know, what we were able to do as an organization was draw on um, relationships that we had already established, right? So that we already had an established relationship with the councilman's office in mm-hmm. her district. So and this we is con- Councilman? Councilman Mike Bonin. Mm-hmm. Who's, um, who, in full disclosure, is uh, my council district. He seems very nice. I'd still never vote for him. Uh, <laughs> but he seems like a guy who, for a centrist, has his heart in the right place and ultimately wants to do the right thing through the system. So he was somebody that you guys have probably butted heads with before, found yourself on the opposite of the fence with, and this time we're on the same side. Yeah, absolutely. So so Mike Bonin was was, um, was completely supportive of Anna's case. Um, we lucked out uh, that he, um, you know, actually uh, heard the story, uh, and uh, actually he showed up to a press conference at Anna's house, uh, to stand with her and to ask for the housing authority to stop this eviction process. He actually wrote a letter to the president of ACLA, uh, uh, Doug Guthrie, um, asking him to not evict this woman and her children. Uh, HACLA did it anyway. So uh, so this is an example of... Before we, before we move on to what yeah. HACLA did, just for the, sure. for the bottom, because like in yeah. L.A., a city council member is not just a run-of-the-mill guy that you like run, in on, nope. run to on the street. These are very powerful politicians that control the lives of several million people, and there's only 15 of them. So, yeah, they're the most powerful city council people in the country. Yeah. So with Bonin, did you do a lot of coordinating with his office? Would you, as a group, do that generally with, like, talking to his PR people or his deputies, coordinating that kind of stuff? Or um, it was his stuff, was he kind of doing this by himself outside of your, your activism? No, I mean, it was definitely, like, with a lot of pressure um, put on on him. And, and also because, again, like, we've established ourselves as an important part of his constituency, um, you know, the public housing residents in Marvista Gardens have a lot of sway. Mm-hmm. Um, they're important because they've made themselves important. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it comes through that and then also, and, and yeah, putting pressure on him uh, through, you know, having having members call. You know, we, we had people call his office. We had people send emails. Um, you know, so there's a variety not, of different ways to put pressure th- there's, on him. There's, it's not, Mike Bonin didn't, you know, call us up and say like, Hey, you have any anybody in my district having issues that I can help with? Like that's it, it was not brought to his attention. And he decided it's politically convenient for yeah. me to to do that. Yeah. Um, but so what I wanted to highlight here was even when there's one campaign going on and you're pushing for one thing, there's a lot of little actions that are making up that one campaign. Oh, yeah. Having people call Mike Bonin's office, <laughs> yeah. having people write letters to different yeah, commissions. Yeah, totally. And coordinating all of that. Yeah, um, so Bonin was one target for us, right? So one of our, he's an ally, but he's also a target. So we wanted to get him to take action on our behalf. So a smaller campaign within this larger campaign of like get on a on her feet again, right, is... Um, uh, and, and the larger campaign to that is uh, make it so this doesn't happen anymore, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so one little campaign within that was to target Bonin's office, put pressure on Bonin, educate Bonin mm-hmm. on what was going on, and make very clear-cut asks of him mm-hmm. of how he could be supportive to her. Um, generally speaking, like elected officials are not going to come up with any of that stuff on their own. They really need to be they like really handheld. Need to be educated. And, okay. Yeah, and like some of that is completely understandable. Like like you said, you know, city council people represent a huge amount of people. They represent around 250,000 people each, uh, constituents each. 
uh, more than any other city council in the country, like I said. And very large geographically very diverse large geographically, areas, yeah, you absolutely. know, from Silicon Beach out to, uh, I believe the his West LA district kind of doesn't make it all the way to mid-city. Yeah, it's uh, But crazy. there's like some of Baldwin Hills and stuff mm-hmm. and like neighborhoods. Incredibly are, diverse, yeah. very different areas. Um, and yeah, again, like for comparison's sake, you know, like, New York, I believe, has 51 city council people, and, and Los Angeles has 15. It's just, it's a it's a massive problem. Um, and uh, I always say that we have um, we have folks with a federal level of power and a local level of caliber, uh, and that's just kind of how it is. So, so once Bonin got involved and the campaign went on, Hackla's bureaucratic machinery kept moving. And what did what happened there? So we thought that we were going to stop this eviction. Uh, we thought that having a sitting city council person, um, on your side would be enough. <laughs> um, and honestly is truly shocking that Hacklow managed to this completely up. I mean, it, it's obscene. Um, you know, they literally made, uh, four people homeless, uh, out of public housing. Um, when there was absolutely no reason to, uh, plenty of people on her side vouching for her, supporting her. I mean, really obscene work by the housing board. And I should point out here that Anna even took some positive and incredibly painful steps because her eldest child is also undocumented, and mm-hmm. she was asked to move out of Anna's house yep. in order to try and save it for the rest of the family. Yep, that's right. Yeah, And that still wasn't enough for, for Hackla. They didn't come to the table to negotiate the $10,000 down or do anything. They were very much set on eviction. Yeah, as much as, you know, they would kind of, the individuals would kind of speak to that they were trying to keep her in their home. Uh, we, we saw really no evidence of that. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was truly disappointing. Did Hackla just come and say, hey, you're being evicted and get out today? Is there like a process that went with that when you guys realized the campaign had to shift gears for Anna? Hackla had told us that they had paused the eviction process uh, and the sheriff arrived anyway. So what happens when you're evicted is the sheriff comes to your door and actually puts you out of your home. So um, so that's exactly what happened to Anna um, and her children. The sheriff showed up uh, and physically put her out of her home. With with her stuff, or they just locked all of her possessions sort of in the house for her to come back to? They because threw it out she's in the street. In public I'm not housing. sure how this. Yeah. yeah. So, be, in general, like if a sheriff, lo- you have a sheriff lockout eviction and you're not in public housing, they will just put your belongings out on the street. Uh, because she was in public housing, she had, um, I believe it's, I want to say 14 or 18 days to go back and remove all of her things. Mm-hmm. Um, so logistically speaking, you know, she was put out that day. She and her kids went and stayed with some friends. Um, and then we coordinated some efforts to get her stuff moved into a storage facility. And was was Hackla useful at all in that? And is insofar as like helping her get her stuff out, planning a truck, doing anything to, to no. help somebody that was dependent on them? Not at no, all. No, no. It was pretty much you're locked out or like this is your stuff. If you don't come get it by this date. It yeah, just they actually the hassled her several times about uh you know, coming in and out of, like, they at first told her she wouldn't, she would only be able to go in and out once to get her things, um, you know, just really honestly making it way more difficult than it needed to be. I mean, yeah, completely unnecessary. Just making it very untenable for her. And so the eviction happens, and uh, you guys rallied and helped her get all of her stuff out and rallied to crowdfo- crowdsource 
uh, some money to mm-hmm. pay for a storage unit and stuff. And I, I was yeah, wondering if you could did. talk about like how that sort of emergency call goes out, like how you coordinate that. Yeah. So, you know, we have, uh, you know, organizationally, we have a listserv. Uh, so we'll send out, you know, um, we send out regular emails. I think we send the emails out usually once every couple of weeks or something like that. But we'll send out emergency emails if somebody is uh, in need of immediate assistance. Um, and so we put out calls to other, you know, organizations um, and made a plea like for just to get people to show up and literally move furniture. Uh, um, and yeah, we were able to raise, um, enough money to pay for her storage unit. Thank God. Um, and now we're like on the, so on the logistical end, um, we are trying to figure out where she's going to land, where she's going to live. Um, that stuff is really, um, you know, social welfare stuff and, you know, power is not, a not a social services agency we're a community organization right so we don't uh we don't like to look to financial solutions to a problem um generally like that being said when we have somebody who's in this kind of um situation we will of course Mm -hmm. rally in that way to make sure that somebody is taken care of absolutely um but we more generally are looking for a systemic shift and a systemic change that will prevent this from happening again um because you know creating a GoFundMe every 20 days that somebody's evicted from public housing is not a sustainable solution. We just don't have those kind of resources. I mean, it works <laughs> for my healthcare. I don't see what the best. God. But yeah. so, so, so that being said, so the, the other part of this is that Anna being evicted is not the end of this campaign. Yeah. Right. So this is a setback for us and it's a, it's devastating on a personal level, of course. Uh, but Anna's story is one that is incredibly important and the idea that somebody can be can you know slip through the cracks and not be able to get any kind of recognition or support from her city (laughs) with every person that you could imagine being on your side I mean the idea of getting I mean I would I can't imagine my sitting city council person ever giving a shit about anything that's happening to me uh, so the idea that a sitting city council person would go to bat for you fighting an eviction against a public agency and then have that not happen for you is really stunning. Um, and everyone should be stunned by that as a citizen of well, this city. Well, and even if it's just lip service being paid to it, it seems like such an open and shut case and one where Anna, especially as the primary caregiver of two minors and, you know, with a daughter who's like college age, she's a person who needs to provide stability for people. Like I don't get yeah, what the city gets by two making kids two in kids public school. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's insane. So, so with that being said that, and what Anna, you know, has voiced that she wants to do is she wants to continue to tell her story and use her story to help other people who might be in this situation. Um, and also to shine a light on all the different elements that come into play with this story. Right. Um, you know, Anna is undocumented. There's a huge, huge situation there. Uh, she's a, she's highly threatened as somebody who lives in public housing. Uh, we, our city council has done nothing to to make it so that ICE can't go into public housing. Uh, that's a huge issue for us. Uh, public housing in general, the, the need for there to be subsidized housing for people in this massive affordable housing crisis, the homelessness situation that we're in, um, families of mixed, mixed uh, citizenship, uh, education issues, keeping your kids in school when you're being evicted, um, domestic violence, obviously. There's a million different issues at play here, and they 
all intersect and it serves it's a really great story to show exactly how much all of those things are dependent on each other so going forward we will be continuing to make this story into a campaign going forward to support all the other work that we do and and it's it's bigger than on it even though she's the person you primarily want to help as you mentioned there are other people in public housing that uh, are in the similar situation. It's sort of. I can think of two other women. Yeah. Immediately. Who I, are in public I don't want to say normal, but it's not unheard of, and it's something right, that the bureaucracy because, should know about. Yeah, because domestic violence happens enough in this country that we should have a mechanism for a woman to be protected from her abuser or a man to be protected from his abuser for that matter. Uh, the fact that we don't have that built in already into public housing contracts is crazy. Um, and it's leaving a lot of people in danger. I mean, this is a big personal hit um, for our organization because we're a community. So um, there's definitely a period of like, pause, let's get her stuff into storage. Let's try and figure out where she's going to live. Let's, you know, keep everything together. Let's try and find her some counseling. So there's like this one period where it's like regrouping. Um, and that's kind of still where we are. And then, you know, the other part of it is, first of all, tying it to existing campaigns. Uh, you know, this wasn't the only campaign we were working on, right? So we are, you know, also working on other campaigns around affordable housing, other campaigns around public housing, um, other campaigns around environmental things, and other campaigns around all kinds of stuff. So this fits it. You know, we see how this story fits in with other campaigns, and then we also look to uh, larger targets. So you know, right now, um, this is also something that Mayor Garcetti could have stepped in and stopped. You know, he definitely knew about it his staff was definitely made aware of it and he didn't do anything about it i mean it's hard when you're in rio you yeah know? it's or real hard berlin or wherever outside of the city you you're mayor to of stay but... in los angeles so how are you going to know about your constituents needing help that is another target that we want to hit um you know we really just want to kind of raise the consciousness of yeah i mean so i guess it's kind of a muddy answer but we're still sort of in the regrouping time but it is like you tie it into as many things as you can and and figure out the ways that it's going to be most effective, most strategic to bring it up. And also, you know, while taking care of your your leader. So, you know, Anna is our leader. Like, she needs to be kind of taken care of. This is a big hit. Um, we're not going to, you know, roll her out in front of, uh, you know, <laughs> press conference uh, the day after she's moving all her stuff into storage. Um, there's a lot of things to, to take into consideration. But that makes sense. And she still wants to fight. And is that's insanely brave, given the material conditions of the situation. No, Anna is a wildly brave young woman. Um, it's really a powerful story. And, um, yeah, she's a, she, you know, it's really, it's very, very touching. And, you know, she's already used her voice to share this story with so many people. And, um and that's really like what it comes down to at the end of the day is like letting people know what's actually going on. And it's really hard to look a woman in the face who's been through that and say, like, there's nothing wrong with this system. So I think this case, uh, as tragic as it kind of ended up, at least as far as, you know, that that immediate campaign being a, not giving you a win, as it were. But it points out a, a, several things. One, how important it is to identify your target and to do some research on it, to not just walk in there cold. To, to be prepared to hit resistance and to not let that stop you. That to always, not assume, but to understand there's going to be pushback. People don't want to do stuff unless they're compelled to do it, especially on a governmental level. And then what that campaign kind of looks like and how you would go about making those contacts. Like, this seems like 
a pretty big campaign and get big push and thankfully power has a decade's worth of of negotiating with these more bureaucracies but they didn't start there like oh, they yeah, had to totally. develop those relationships more than a decade oh, ago they sure. had to keep working them stay yeah. in contact stay mm-hmm. active stay providing inf- information and education to people who really have a vested interest in not hearing it like mike bonin's job mm-hmm. and life is way easier if he never hears about anna cruz right. so you have to make him pay attention to that yeah, definitely. And get him to move on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you definitely like want to be in constant contact with, you know, we are checking in regularly with Bon and staff, like regardless of what's going on, so that they don't forget that we exist, right? Like that's really important. Um, it's really important to establish a consistency with your, you know, elected officials and their staff. Um, and yeah, like figuring out how Hackle works was really part of this. Um well, I mean, that wasn't part of this campaign, but became very fundamental to this campaign, right? So that we were able to go down there and, and know who to meet with and who to talk to. Well, as, as they say, don't let the bastards grind you down. Uh, and power lives to fight another day. Anna is certainly waking up to fight another day. Uh, I hope this has been really useful for you guys insofar as what a campaign can look like and how it is you kind of want to start and get rolling. And this one is complex but I like focusing on it because it has a very human story and it really points out how very simple wrongs can become very hard to correct in the system we have. Not because the players or the people or the bureaucrats are bad people, but because they're disincentivized from doing what we assume they should do. Uh, anything that you wanted to add on the tail end of this or yeah, any lessons, I mean, takeaway, I, advice? I always say, like, you know, we, there's so much corruption in the world. We just experience it all the time, right? There's just a ton of corruption. Uh, and it's crazy how, like, when corruption might benefit poor people, that's the only time we're really not okay with it. Like, we're cool with people sharing HBO Go passwords. Like, we're cool with, like, all this stuff. But, nepotism like, at the highest nepotism, level. Nepotism, like, like the, crazy. The, I'm, a, I'm a legacy, legacy uh, admission student at this is college. fine at Harvard, Yale, but whatever. But, like, welfare queens. Welfare queens. We cannot kill that stereotype. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much data we throw at it, people are still like, no, 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 no. Poor people are getting stuff for free. But I worked my ass off for my ski Right. Like on a personal level, like I'm pro-corruption as long as it benefits poor people and, and that's it. Like I just am. Uh, <laughs> that's me personally, Kendall Mayhew. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you know, we all get we all get lucky breaks and, you know, there's ways to make things easier for people. And we all we see it all the time. You know, you go into an airline and they cancel your flight. You can talk to one person and they can't help you talk to another person and they can that's because somebody is willing to do something for you and somebody's not and unfortunately poor folks run into that all the time you know it's that old thing of like it's way more expensive to be poor than it is to be rich and it's really devastating when you start to see it in person so I do encourage folks to just get to know what's going on in your local city go check out a board meeting you will see very quickly the dynamics that are at play and who the law is written for and who it's not. It's really, really obvious. Um, I was at city hall today. It's very clear. Uh, and there's class warfare going on here, guys. Like it's, it's no joke. It's here. 
uh, we're in late capitalism. Yeah, well, it's like uh, Kevin. <laughs> well, it's like uh, Kevin Mitnick said. You know, the the strongest tool in his hacking arsenal was social engineering. Just talking to people, learning how to talk to them, learning how to play on their institutional biases. So I hope this has been really, really helpful for you guys. Uh, we're going to be back here very soon with some other guests and some other stuff to walk you through. I'm sure Kendall will be back here in the future. Yeah. Uh, and from Bushido Squirrel and us here at Ground Game, thank you very, very much for listening. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs>